All right. Welcome back, everyone, um, to our final episode of Onward. Oh, my God. This is this is already so sad. But I'm your host, Sammy Avila. And today, my beautiful co-host, Stevie Herner, could not join us today because she is getting her wisdom teeth taken out and donated to charity. <laughs> so uh, thank God she's donating her wisdom teeth for kids who need wisdom teeth. <laughs> I can't keep going on. Sorry. Uh, but no, she is off doing important stuff and she, cause she's an incredibly talented person and we will miss her on our final episode, but I have someone just as amazing. Uh, I'm so happy to introduce the final guest to on the onward podcast. My dear, dear, good friend, Mike Raleigh. Hello. Hi, Mike. Hi. How's it going, um, Sammy? So, I'm so glad it's to going be here. Good, it's going good. I'm so happy you're here. We've gotten very, very close this past semester, um, because Mike is at USC, a DMA student, incredible. But how about you take some time to introduce yourself so our listeners get to know you a little bit better? Sure. So I'm Mike, uh, Mike Raleigh, he slash they. I am in my first semester. Uh, we're right around the Thanksgiving break at time of recording. So almost done with my first semester of my doctorate at USC in choral music. Woo! Uh, I am originally from Boston, Massachusetts, so I grew up there, high school, college, master's degree, teaching in the public schools, and uh, I'm, I'm really glad to be in California. My husband and I packed up our lives in June and moved out west. Which, by the way, Mike and his husband, incredibly adorable. Uh, I saw them at a concert once, and I was like, aww. <laughs> we, all were, we all were like awing, and it was so adorable. Mm, my husband is very, um, very cute. Yeah, I, yeah, it's such, so adorable. But uh, I also wanted, before we started on our topic, I wanted to acknowledge that um, today we were recording on November 20th, which is Trans Day of Remembrance. Um, this is a really important day for the uh, trans and non-binary community because we acknowledge the lives that we've lost. And unfortunately, in 2022, there were 32 reported trans lives lost. Um, I, I think it's put important that on the you say... Oh, I'm sorry. I just wanted to say, I think it's important that you say reported. Yeah, I it's that I wanted to really emphasize that because uh, those are only of the people that we know, because numerous trans people go missing or they are not reported. Uh, their deaths are not reported or they are misgendered on their um, initial police files. So today we honor them and we remember them. And yeah, so let's get moving with the topic today uh we've talked about everything under the sun we've talked about uniforms repertoire voice placement language what else can we talk about well i'm glad you asked um we're going to i wanted to get a little personal today with mike uh you've heard enough of stevie she's gone now it's mike's it's mike's turn (laughs) i'm the star now (laughs) so but i wanted to get a little personal um together and just talk about how Choral music has aided us in discovering ourselves and discovering our identities, um, how all that stuff and how important choral music has played in our lives, tell fun stories, all that fun stuff. So I think I'm going to start with our first question. And this one's for Mike. I say that as you're the only person on the Zoom call. I don't know why I said that. Uh, But Mike, was there a point in your life as a choral singer, conductor, teacher, whatever, where you felt affirmed within your gender identity or just simply just felt safe in expressing yourself? Yeah, I've been thinking about this 
recently. So when I was in Boston, I sang at a church called the Parish of All Saints in Ashmont, which is in Dorchester, which is a, a neighborhood of Boston. And it is a choir of men and boys, which means that well, it's first of all, that comes with a lot of baggage, uh, which maybe we can unpack if we if we want to go there. But one of the interesting and important things about this group is that the trebles are our boys. So the boys sing the soprano line, and then altos are countertenors, and then there are tenors and basses. And I started as a, a tenor singing there, and uh, I, I knew that they were low on altos or having trouble finding countertenors, and I was countertenor yeah. curious so <laughs> i asked if i could start singing countertenor and i i tried it out for a little while and it it felt really good so i ended up singing as an alto for six years uh in this choir wow yeah i i really liked it it really helped me um you know it was just a, a really nice way of singing that worked well with my voice at that time in my life and uh you know i miss it sometimes but it's uh, a very fun experience for me and it allowed me to express something about myself that I didn't really have a label for until really relatively recently so I was yeah. singing alto you know with my full beard um <laughs> and and it was just a I I part of me enjoyed the um what words can I use on this podcast can I say gender fuckery of it yeah, why not? <laughs> the gender queerness <laughs> of it. So eventually the label that I, I have adopted for myself for now is, is gender queer. Um, but I, I really enjoyed singing alto at that time um, because it, it allowed me to sort of blur the lines in a way. And I, and I really liked doing that. And it was really mm-hmm. fun and pleasant to sing in that part of my voice. Uh, unfortunately, as I was getting ready for my master's, the summer before my first semester, I worked as a tour guide. And I uh, ended up developing a polyp because of all the screaming. Uh, mm. And my first semester of my master's, uh, I developed a hemorrhage because the polyp just kept hitting in a bad way. Yeah. And that hemorrhage kept coming back. So I needed to have some vocal surgery to have the polyp removed. And it took a long time for the phonation style I was using to sing countertenor to come back. And so I, mm-hmm. I started singing tenor, which is what I was singing before, and it it feels good. So I, I've been singing tenor since. Nice. I share I share that like sentiment with you because right now I'm also experimenting with diff- singing different voice parts. And in a couple pieces that we do in choir and stuff like that, I've been, oops, my mic, I've been tasked to sing alto sometimes, which was strange because I thought I was only confined to singing tenor. Mm-hmm. You're never going to catch me singing baritone or bass ever but um i thought i was confined to only singing tenor so when the option was opened it was kind of it it just feels right i don't know how else to describe it it just really does feel right on to like my my personal life as a choral singer uh i really accredit a lot of my journey of self-discovery and um how i identify with myself to like my high school choir director uh her name is marissa bradfield shout out marissa bradfield she's also a dma student She's the best uh, at USC, but I knew her in high school. We, I went to this super, super small um, Catholic private high school in Burbank, California, and um, I don't know. I just can't describe it. Um, she was just always an incredibly supportive person to have, 
around um when especially I would just always go into her room like during class and stuff like I was not supposed to be doing that like I was supposed <laughs> to be in class but sometimes like I would go to her room and just talk about just all the horrible things were happening in life and you know classic high school drama and she never I never felt judgment I never felt I never felt like I was being a nuisance or I was bothering her it was just always supportive and I I truly I truly can say this like if it wasn't for her and how open she was and how how welcoming she was with me that like I could have gone down like a, a lot of really really like dark paths Mm-hmm. Um, so she really did change my life and how I viewed music because she just cared and she listened. And I think that's the biggest part. And she, we worked together all the time, my junior and senior year. She gave me this choral direct, she gave me the student director position and I started conducting in high school. And I think it was because of her. I had this, I have this newfound, appreci- I had that newfound appreciation, uh, and passion for music. So Hmm. Thanks, Marissa. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I hope she, she hates it when I call her I'm Bradfield. Sure would, I'm sure she would love to hear that. I know as a teacher, if if I heard a student say that to me, you know, a couple of years after they graduated, it would just it would just make my my week, if not my month. Yeah, absolutely. Like she hates it when I call her Miss Bradfield. I have to call her Marissa now because we're colleagues, <laughs> we're <laughs> classmates. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, I, I credit a lot of my my journey in high school of self discovery, especially in a, a, a Catholic uh, high school, super small. My mm. my graduating class was ninety people. Wow. Okay. Um, so everyone knew everyone, um, yeah. and and everyone was in everyone's business. But she made me feel like she she made me feel welcomed and she made me feel supportive mm. and not a lot of I can't say that a lot about, about a lot of the teachers I had in high school yeah so I do credit I do credit her for getting me on the right track um mm. but on on that topic of just like you know people figuring ourselves out I think we both stated that we're still just both humans and we're still just both trying to figure ourselves out and our, our gender identity and our expression mm-hmm. so I I want to pass on this question to you Mike about just in general about music but we'll, uh, we'll we'll keep it to choral music like how does choral music aid in helping find people and helping people find themselves like what is it about choral music that like is so affirming for some people and they, and a safe place for people yeah i think a lot of it relates to community and relationships i'm going to talk about this from an educator's perspective i think that when we're in the classroom with students we're making art with them we're building relationships with them, they see us a little differently than they see their other teachers. When they're with their science teacher, they're not, the science teacher isn't being as vulnerable as often as the music teacher is. Because in order for us to be able to make art together, we have to be very vulnerable. And so that wall of, of sort of teacher performance kind of comes down a little and you get this relationship that is more vulnerable and more authentic and more personable so that the students feel more comfortable being themselves around you. And, and that can come out in many different ways. Um, you know, I, I have, I've had students who are like so much fun to work with and I talk to the other teachers and, and the kid is just not pleasant in their class. And I think part of it is because they haven't built this relationship and they haven't been vulnerable with the student. Um, and this, this happened with a, with a genderqueer student who, you know, loved my class, had fun singing, 
but in another class was apparently like completely disengaged. They couldn't get the student to answer a question. In my classroom, the hand was always raised. So I think having a relationship with the teacher that allows the student to be fully themselves really allows students to to be themselves and to discover who they are and to feel comfortable expressing who they are. So I think it all comes down to the community they're in, the community you build as a teacher or as a leader in this choral ensemble, or if you were just singing in a choir, the community you, you contribute to in terms of inclusivity and relationship building with other choral members, all of these things sum together to create an environment that is healthy and in which people feel comfortable just being who they are their authentic selves without a mask on Mm -hmm. yeah like i i completely agree with that like like marissa my high school choir director uh she was straight she has a husband and two kids and two beautiful children um but uh i compassion and empathy really she just exuded all those qualities so that's why i felt really comfortable with her and almost inspired because she even though she is she identifies as a straight woman i think um i don't want to assume but she kind of just lived her life unapologetically like she has Mm -hmm. she has like really cool feet tattoos Mm -hmm. and like everyone came in my high school dressed in suits and she looked like the she dressed like the high school director from high school musical the like the (laughs) the the, the theater teacher um and she just had her own personal style and she was just unapologetically her and i think uh just talking about your position um you having having a teacher who's so openly queer and so unapologetically themselves it really you you said it really well where like students can see that and they can see you know queer joy they can see some mm. uh, queer excellence and they can see someone and they can almost like look up to you in the sense that like that's who i can be somewhere in the, in the near future somewhere happy um somewhere thriving you know i i someone with a partner a beautiful partnership mm-hmm. um and I just think that, I just think you are a you you simply walking into a classroom for a bunch of students and being yourself is incredibly inspirational. Yeah. For any kid, even if it's just one student, like that's that still makes the difference. Yeah, you know, speaking of of queer joy, um, which I which I imagine we're we're borrowing from Black Joy as a as a phenomenon. Um, yes. <laughs> we when when my husband would come to shows, the queer kids would always come up to me to go and go is that your husband? And they were so excited to see I did that when I met your husband. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I did that when I met your husband. Because you're just so excited to see like happy queer people. It's just so nice to see happy queer people. I mean, I I was like, so we were all, me and Rachel were always like, oh my God, that's our husband. And we were like, so, you know, just moved by seeing that. So it really, it really does make the difference. And that's why, you know, people, this this phrase gets thrown around a lot, like representation matters, and it's some people have diluted it to to mean other weird and wacky things. But like, truly, at the core of a representation is seeing your life experience reflected in someone else. Mm-hmm. And I think simply you having your husband come to a concert and him looking proud of the person who's on stage, yeah, um, and students seeing that is truly is really inspiring. So representation does matter, and all of the Republicans who say don't say that can suck it. But <laughs> uh, I don't know. There's just a there's just a really big sense of back to the question. It's just there's a really, there's a big sense of community, and I think that's the foundation of mm. choral music is is that there we don't think about the singular, we think about the whole, and I think 
we, we've I've had a lot of queer students in my high school choirs, um, and no one no one ever felt othered. No one ever felt like this is at a Catholic school, different. right? And this is at a Catholic. Yeah. I, this is literally can't say that about the rest of the school, but for some reason when we entered yeah. those, that, when for some reason when we entered that choir costume, we were all equals. You know mm. what I mean? Like we, no one felt othered. Everyone felt safe to be who yeah. they are. And I visited my high school recently, and seeing just seeing the amount of students who express themselves visually with like hair, nail polish, hair, mm. nail polishes, all the stuff that you know is questioned by 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 older people as different like if they see someone who's more masculine presenting wear nail polish i saw like this video of some priest who said like if he saw a, a boy wear that he would break his fingers off which like inciting violence never fun hmm. um you know i, I don't think just seeing how you've never seen that video no 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 i i oh i haven't but i was gonna say i don't think you know this about me um i fortunately was spared catholic high school but i went to catholic school mm. up through sixth grade um, mm. and so I like understand the universe you're talking about and I'm really glad that your experience was different than mine and I wonder if our age gap has something to do with that yeah absolutely I think I was on the I think I was on the up and up of when mm. the high school was starting to be a little bit more because I can't say that my whole experience was great outside of the choir classroom of just you know existing in this catholic school um of like everything was everything was put into question simply because of sexuality my how how i presented myself my race all this stuff there were still mm-hmm. there were still deeply rooted issues but i think i go back now and i see how these kids are expressing themselves and how happy they are and it's it's just really nice to see a, a catholic school a catholic school take up that take up that responsibility uh, to better serve their mm. whole community yeah. and how they, and I think that's the biggest thing is like, you can't deny that your, your school doesn't have queer people in it. Yeah. No matter what your yeah. religion is. Mm-hmm. Just out of curiosity, is this a Jesuit school? No, this is Catholic. <laughs> Good old Catholic K through 12. Like, like a parochial school. Like who, who runs the school? Uh, I don't know. Some like, uh, I think like, uh, they're, uh, Oh, like a group of uh, nuns, a group of sisters. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're like the cool nuns. They wear like they wear like khaki pants and like mm-hmm. button-up shirts. They don't wear like the whole habit thing. Got it. But <laughs> yeah. but yeah, they're the they were the cool nuns. But uh, yeah, just just seeing my high school just be a little bit more inclusive with that makes me happy, and it makes me happy for the kids yeah. who are who are there now, because mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't always that place. It wasn't always that place. I can't say that with my whole my whole chest that my high school was like that beforehand. So it's 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 nice that we see, I see personally the change and them willing to listen to their students, and I think that's the biggest thing with, I'll say with music educators in general is listening, mm-hmm. um, just being there for your students and, you know, listening listening to them and listening to their issues, listening to their concerns and not kind of brushing it off. Um, I think when music educators feel like they have this power over their students to like, I hear you, but I'm not going to do anything about it shows that like that won't slide anymore. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm not speaking from personal experience, uh, but (laughs) wink, wink, but it does show that like when, when educators deny students their right to have a voice and to listen to their students, especially on issues regarding queer issues, basic human rights, language, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. 
it, 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 it's like times are changing pretty much. And like educators need to, you know, keep, keep on the up and up pretty much of making sure that their spaces are really, really inclusive and for everyone. Yeah. Um, but speaking of music teachers, um, full, full transparency, we already recorded this podcast, but we had a, <laughs> we had a little bit of a technical difficulty <laughs> and I want to talk to, I want Mike to talk about this because it was so fascinating to listen to it. Um, uh, the question was, Mike, if you had to talk to music teachers right now who are listening to this podcast and how to better serve their trans and non-binary singers, what would you say to them? Cause yeah. you had a really, really cool thing. Yeah. You so, said. so I think a lot of the, the issue we run into here as music educators is that we have an idea of what choral music should look like. And so we want to be inclusive. We want to make sure there's space for queer students, but we end up creating, so trying to create solutions for queer people rather than for our entire ensembles. And so you see this, for example, in a, in a, an ensemble that does uniforms where there are two options. You can wear a dress or gown, or you can wear a tux. And the director says very plainly, like, I don't care which one you wear, you can wear whatever you want, but you're still being presented with binary options. And so that's difficult to to navigate. If you're a queer student who, maybe you don't feel comfortable in a dress, but you don't wanna wear a tux, because that is gonna be a complicated conversation with your parents. So one of the things, one of the ways that I applied this in my classroom to make the actual part of voice placement more inclusive is to let singers choose their own parts. So this starts with, because I was five through 12 teaching, I was teaching middle school and high school. The middle school started in Mm -hmm. fifth grade, five, six, seven, then eight through 12 was the high school. Um, The middle schoolers, I would see them uh, every other school day, so two or three times a week. And we really just did two-part music. It was all we could handle, given the time restraints and the skill level. So I would teach them both parts. Everyone knew both parts, and they got to choose the part they wanted. And I had students who would change parts in the middle of the concert. They would sing part one in this song, and they would sing part two in this song. And they practiced it. They already knew which part they were going to sing. But, you know, there were reasons why they would want to sing this part versus that part. Maybe the top part was more belty in this piece and more head voice in the other, and they didn't feel comfortable using their voice in that way. So I I let them really just explore and paint and play. And then as we got into high school, as we got into eighth grade, I did a very similar thing. Now we have longer classes, but so we could sing more complicated music with more parts. And I wouldn't teach everyone every part, but at the beginning of the year, I would teach them a couple of different parts for a piece, simple piece, piece that we weren't going to perform in a concert just for fun. And I would have them sort themselves into the part that they felt fit their voice the best. Mm-hmm. And then we would work on that piece and, and we would play around with it and I'd get to know their voices and maybe I'd ask them to move around a little bit, depending on how the choir was sounding for balance purposes. And then we would play for the rest of the year with using our voices in different ways. I find especially with with young cis women singing and and just young people in general actually singing in head voice can be an uncomfortable experience and so belting belting is more fun because you just get to yell and you don't have to deal with this weird part of your voice that you don't understand yet but we would we would play around with that and then we would also absolutely play around with figuring out how to access this other part of our voice um 
And so over the course of the year, I would ask people to sing different parts on different pieces so that they got a broad experience of using their voice without feeling like, I am a soprano, I sing like this, I am an alto, I sing like this. My first year teaching, I was hit in the face with some singers who I would ask them to sing and they're like, oh, I'm an alto, I, I, don't, I don't sing that high. Like, yeah, you do. You absolutely do. Yeah. We just don't belt when we sing that note. So in this particular sound world that we're going for. So, so letting them have agency in what part they sang, but also pushing them to use the full palette of their voice within their comfort um, was, was how I dealt with beginning level choir voice discovery. And then as choir went along and we got to our more advanced ensemble, we would have more rigid part definitions just because the music required it, but people were still switching around. We would do music with six part splits, eight part splits. And at that point, I'm just telling people, you're singing the middle note, you're singing the bottom note. It wasn't like you are in a soprano too, therefore you sing this note. It's just like, mm-hmm. you're singing that note because yeah, it's you're the middle singing. note. You got it. You're just using, just using your voice. Yeah. That's re- I really, I thought this was really fascinating uh, because I think young young singers can find themselves to uh, a voice part and they create like a personality behind that. Yeah, they get all uh, fucked up about it. Yeah. <laughs> and I wish I had someone in my high school, in my younger choir days when I was like in se- sixth, seventh and eighth grade who was open and willing like you, Mike, to just like have anyone sing whatever part they want. Mm. Um, and just explore and be be vulnerable in the way, but just more willing, just the willingness to just try different parts out and having them be having that open conversation with them being like, Oh, if that note doesn't feel comfortable, maybe you could sing the second, maybe you can sing the middle part and stuff like that. Um, were the kids really receptive to this? Like how, what was the reaction to your, your students when you, when you would implement this into the oh, rehearsal? Yeah. They, I mean, they seem to really like it. Um, they liked, especially, uh, they got to like, sing with their friends a little bit, which was fun. They got to like be around people who they knew and felt comfortable taking risks. Yeah. And I think that's part of it. Um, and especially for my genderqueer students, not being assigned a voice part that has like a, a gendered expectation, I think really helps yeah. some of my non-binary students feel comfortable singing in this choir without feeling like Mr. Raleigh sees me as female because... I'm singing alto. Yeah. That's really, that's really important. And that just helps better with like voice placement and stuff like that. And it just changes perception of what choirs are and are supposed to be like what we talked about in our last episode about language, about how, you know, you're, you you just said it so well. It's so easy. You're just singing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like just sing. I will share a a kind of a funny anecdote though. Um, oh, please, please, please. I'm extremely conscious in my choirs about never using gendered language. I never say boys or men or guys or girls. Yeah. I'm from the Northeast, so I often will use like a gender neutral you guys sort of thing, which I've tried to work out of my vocabulary and replace with folks. But, you know, sometimes it pops up. But it's, I'm very, very specific about saying tenors and basses, sopranos and altos. And I, I was all year, I was super specific and at one point, the um, the the all the tenors and basses were singing something together, and one of the the students said, "Is that just the guys singing?" 
And it's like, oh, they haven't been indoctrinated yet. Why don't they just say tenors and bases? It was very funny. Um, yeah. Because they still, they still have these perceptions, which I do yeah. understand. Yeah, because they're, they've been indoctrinated to be, oh, yeah. to fit this, like, idea. Yeah. Yeah. But if, but, like, when you, when you take that away from choir and you kind of re- shape what they think choir is or what what gender is supposed to what gender is supposed to sing what you really open their minds and they kind of go like whoa what like i can yeah. sing alto yeah if i'm yeah like that's i that's, can't tell you so how great. much the sopranos and altos enjoyed when the tenors and basses would sing super high in falsetto and we would have competitions mm-hmm. to sing to see who could sing higher and when when, when a bass would win it was always fun that's hilarious i love that yeah <laughs> The Sopranos and Alto's being like, dang it! <laughs> it's always that one bass. Yeah. Also, it's just so much louder sometimes that I feel like it oh, builds yeah, confidence for, sure. for everyone. Yeah, for sure. Um. Well, Mike, we're en- we're nearing the end of our podcast today. The end of your entire this podcast. So yeah. This is the entire podcast. This is this truly has felt like a labor of love. This podcast. Uh, Thank you for having me as your last class. guest. Yeah, but I want to leave this with one question for the both of us to answer about where do we want to see choral music go in five to 10 years? Just, mm. just moving forward onward. Ha ha ha. Yeah. <laughs> onward. Yeah. So, so for me, and I've been thinking about this a lot recently, I want choral music to become bigger. I want more people singing. And I think the key to the way we do that is through music education. One of the things that I notice that is kind of lacking is performance opportunities for young people. So I worked yeah. in this church um, that performed every Sunday. So the trebles would learn, they would rehearse Tuesday and Thursday every week and, re- and perform on Sunday. And on Sunday they were performing 25 minutes of music and it was 25 minutes of different music. Every Sunday was a different mass setting. Like I'm talking Kyrie, Gloria, Sanctus, Benedictus, yeah. Agnus Dei. No credo, fortunately, for time reasons. <laughs> and and a new anthem and a new Anglican chant psalm and four new hymns. They would perform all new music. And was it always stellar? No. But it was often really good. And sometimes it was mediocre. Yeah. Sometimes it was bad. But they were performing every week and they had a reason to perform every week. And I think it really helps get rid of any sort of performance anxiety. Like I found myself, you know, singing at this church every morning. I would, every Sunday I would show up and and be singing this music. And often it was one or two and a part. And I just had to sing. And once I kind of got over that voice in my head that tells me I'm not good enough, the performance anxiety just disappears. And I think that's lacking for a lot of young people. So I would love for us in the next 10 years to, to develop more ways for young people to perform excellent music much more often. I'm not a yeah. huge fan of performance opportunities being two or three times a year. I, yeah. I want kids and adults performing a lot. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I would love to help us figure out a way to do that because I think that that builds a larger choral culture Mm-hmm. That will that will just get more people singing. Yeah, absolutely. Huh. That's that, that's I I completely agree with that. Ooh, I keep kicking my microphone today. <laughs> I am so sorry. But um, but where where I want to see choral music go, especially as someone who's relatively new 
to this. Like I, I only wanted to pursue choral music when I was like a senior in high school. So, and I'm, I'm, I, which was like when I was like 18, 17 and I'm 21 now. So I'm relatively new to all this, but where I want to see choral music go is kind of in general, just, I want to see more choral ensembles and choir in general be reflective of the communities that it serves. Um, growing up, I was, I grew up biracial in predominantly white spaces and I would always walk into choral rehearsals every for the majority of the rehearsals I stepped into I felt like I simply didn't belong solely because I didn't look like everyone else I didn't see my life I didn't see my life experiences shared with anyone else in the ensemble I in the choir director anything and that if I was a different person I that could have dis you know kind of taken my passion to music and down the wrong path and I could have been I could have been doing something else mm. with my life mm-hmm. and I really think that I think choir choir in general can do a better thing a better job in general of ensuring that it make they ensuring that they make choir feel like it's for everyone and not just a certain subset of people how choirs should have you know start exploring with different programming and programming of cultures that, that are maybe different from themselves having a more diverse ensemble so that when a child or anyone who's interested a young person sees a choir and isn't you know white cis or anything like that they can see them they can see another person in the ensemble reflected back at them and mm. know that they are worthy honored valued all that stuff mm-hmm. to be able to pursue music um, like no child should ever feel like they don't belong solely because they don't they don't look like anyone else in the ensemble um, and then my second thing that I think that I like I want to just touch on is not for the music educators music, edu- music educators this isn't for you this is more for the parents if there's any <laughs> music educator who is a parent this one's for you I guess but in general just I think so I'm really blessed and fortunate to have a dad and a mom who goes to every single one of my concerts. Uh, my, I don't think my dad has missed any concert I've done at USC. That's amazing. Really. And and I know I won't have that for forever. But for now, I know that I'm always going to have someone in the audience I can look at and know like, like that is my support network. And I think knowing that has really pushed me to continue with music, knowing that I will always see him in the audience or seeing mm-hmm. him, my mom, my, my grandma sometimes if she's feeling up for it. I don't know. But this is for the parents out there. Just really like if your child wants to pursue music, let them because you don't know what your you may or may not know what your child is going through. Your child may be figuring themselves out. Your child may be queer and they don't feel safe to express themselves in the house or in school. Your child may not agree with the gender that they are that they are, you know, being forced upon, I guess. And but it's those it's those choir rehearsals that you take them to. It's those private voice lessons that you invest in. It's you driving them on a Saturday at nine o'clock in the morning to your <laughs> child's shitty production of the music man. <laughs> To know that, like, it's those moments and it's those opportunities of of getting your child involved in the arts and and passionate about it. Because little do you know, it could be any of those things that I listed that changes the trajectory of their life or even saves their life. Mm-hmm. 
I know so many people who simply because they were in theater or they were in choir or they were interested in photography and art that having that avenue, that creative avenue and that creative outlet saved their life because high school sucks. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Middle school sucks. Yeah. So having those, having those avenues is so important and I don't, and no parent should ever deny their child the right to express themselves creatively. So that's my little tidbit for parents, for parents out there. If your child wants to do personal music, let them. I get it. It's hard to be a musician. You're asking, <laughs> like these two, we, Mike and I can go on and on about that. But just let them. Be that support network. Be the parent. Be supportive of the child, no matter who they become or who they, who, who they, who they become or who they want to be. Just support them. I think that's the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. If you, like, I fully believe if you are not, if you cannot commit yourself 100% to being that support network for your child, you should just not have a child. You should not have children. Taking us to <laughs> like, church, Sammy. Yeah, literally. But that's where that's where I would like to see choral music in general and and all that stuff. Yeah. But yeah, we're that's we're at the end of the podcast. That's it. Oh my god. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I, I really appreciate it. And I'm I'm honored that I got to be your last guest. I got to replace Stevie. That's great. Ah, oh, we got to dethrone Stevie. I know. <laughs> She's gonna listen to us and be like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> well, but, she might not uh, understand so- it. I mean they're taking out her wisdom teeth. Yes, 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 yes. She won't she she'll be loopy she'll, from the from the <laughs> whatever. Um but no, thank you so much, Mike, for being our last podcast on uh, our last guest on the podcast um thank you stevie if you're listening out there i hope you feel better from your wisdom too <laughs> can't keep going with this joke can't keep going with this joke um thank you so much stevie for being an incredible co-host and being a great resource um and great friend and mentor and all the great stuff uh another great thank you to um my my yap professor Young Artist Project Professor, Ken Foster, and my pod leader, Lena Bond, Lena Bond, Lena Bond. You've been just so great. You've been so supportive. And none of this would have been possible without your guidance. So thank you. Thank you so much. If you get to this point, I hope you're listening. Um, And yeah, thank you so much for joining. Hopefully this is a podcast that we can continue um, post-college and keep educating people and having more queer and trans choral artists on here and talk about their excellence and all that stuff. But for now... We're going to we're going to we're going to close this little chapter. Hopefully we'll be back for a season two. But thank you so much, everyone, for listening and signing off. This is Sammy.